My first time in Africa was completely different. Back then, Nigel was my guide, and his approach to life was the opposite of Drake's. If one word could describe Nigel, it would be ebullient. Nigel couldn't get enough of life, and he faced every situation with a palpable hunger for new experiences. When we landed in the small airport during our trip to Mangazi, Nigel had a bull-in-a-china-shop demeanor. Born into privilege and a television personality used to handlers and assistants, he expected people to cater to his needs chop-chop. Nigel was taller than everyone around, with a huge, booming voice that commanded everyone's attention. He got it. All eyes were trained to him as we walked through the terminal that day over a year earlier. If one word could describe Drake, it was restrained. Calm and methodical, Drake anticipated everything. Getting our carry-on bags ready once the plane finished taxiing down the runway. Thanking the steward in a quiet, respectful voice. Leading me down the off-ramp into the terminal, one hand holding mine. Always slightly ahead as if to protect me from the onslaught of people waiting to greet their loved ones. Glancing back at me with a soft smile on his face his excitement visible but contained. We stopped in the main arrivals foyer and he put our carry-on bags down and pulled me into his arms, his chin resting on the top of my head. We're here, he whispered, squeezing me. I hugged him back, my breath catching in my throat from my own building excitement. Then he tilted my chin up and kissed me tenderly. When he pulled back, he ran a finger over my bottom lip, touching the tiny scar. I thought I'd be here by myself when I accepted Michael's offer back in December. I'm so glad you're with me, future Mrs. Morgan. I'm so glad you asked me. I smiled. The newness of that idea, of being Drake's wife, still a bit strange to me. We stood for a moment in an embrace while people walked by, surrounded by the sounds of happy voices and laughter as families and friends reunited. I fingered the ring on my left hand and buried my face in Drake's shoulder. I guess we should get our bags, he said, and ended the embrace. Why don't you have a seat and wait for me? I'll get a cart. Michael and Claire should be here soon. I nodded and sat in a chair by the floor-to-ceiling window, watching as Drake made his way to the baggage area, pushing a cart in front of him. While he waited, I observed him leaning against the cart. Dressed in a white linen shirt, untucked over dark jeans, his black hair slightly below his collar, he looked as if he was posing for some high-end men's fashion magazine. He stood out from the rest of the crowd in so many ways. The public Drake was a successful neurosurgeon specializing in delicate robotic surgery, a philanthropist donating equipment and time in Africa, a guitarist for a retro 60s rock band. The private man, the secret side of him, was the sensual Master D, who loved bondage and dominance, who controlled his lover's sexual response, and whose kink was leather. I was attracted to both sides of him, 
a thrill in my belly at the thought of his sexuality and of his need for control in the bedroom, a squeeze in my chest that he wanted me as his wife. Apparently, he'd overcome his reluctance to become emotionally involved with a woman again and wanted to marry me. Still, it was hard not to let his dominant personality affect our non-sexual relationship. He so easily took control in everything, so self-contained, secure, and confident. He said he wanted me to be my own woman, but what did that mean? I was still finding out. This trip to Africa and our engagement would be a time of discovery. When I lived with him, what would I find?